Harpy Hour may contain explicit language, as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour, the harpiest of all the hours of your day. Aloha. Laid back. My mind on my money and my money on my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sound like the Kool-Aid man there. Speaking of the Super Bowl, Snoop Dogg is for sure performing at this uh, during the halftime show, and I'm so excited. Listeners, before you came on, we were talking about the Super Bowl. <laughs> we were. <laughs> Context. Specifically, Tracy's Super Bowl-themed cupcakes. They were delicious. Thank you, King Supers. But yeah, so my roommates just discovered that who's performing at the Super Bowl halftime show, and it's like Eminem, Snoop Dogg, etc. So we're all very excited. Yeah, I saw a meme earlier today that had like all the performers. I'm just really excited that we're like the the target demographic at this point. Yeah, the meme was something like, "Oh, a lot of like kids out there are gonna learn a lot about their parents." Yeah, at this halftime <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eminem, what has he done recently? I mean, I was gonna say changed the landscape of rap. Done. I know what he's done. I just meant what has he been up to recently. It's oh. been a minute since I've seen Eminem around. I think he's like producing like Dr. Dre. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More of a behind the scenes role. Dr. Dre is also performing. But Dr. Dre's dead. He's locked in my basement. <laughs> I, I really like I just Googled Eminem and his about section has j- just the way that it lets us see married Kim twice. So his spouse <laughs> oh, is yeah. Kim Scott, 2006 to 2006. Kim Scott. <laughs> Nineteen ninety nine to two thousand one, like just has her twice instead of having like their two separate marriages. I remember when his daughter Haley graduated high school, and that picture circulated around. Oh yeah, I was like, oh, this hurts me. We're so old. Oh god, (laughs) who's so old? I feel the icy breath of death. That was me, Tracy. There you go. And I'm Liz, the youngest of the three of us, but still old. And I'm Steph. Fuck you, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Weird flex, but okay. (laughs) Being the tallest munchkin in munchkin land over there. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) And this is our podcast where we share ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. I had my first roly-poly pregnant moment the other day oh Oh. where uh i was laying on the couch and i went to get up to pee but i misjudged my center of gravity because it is changing every fucking day and (laughs) i like went to pull myself up off the couch and fell back down but (laughs) not before yelling oh oh like the Pillsbury Doughboy just like that it was just like that I'm gonna need video of this at some point just 
so you know. I'll try to recreate it for you. I would appreciate it, please, and thank you. I feel like that's not the last time that's going to happen. I'm just going to get bigger. (laughs) Yesterday at bowling, one of our friends got up from his seat and made the, like, noise like an old Uh man Uh (laughs) and it was like absolutely unironic and we all just like laughed so hard oh Uh, god (laughs) and he did that (laughs) so liz yeah are you gonna talk about something today i am i'm gonna talk about universe 25 the 25th century no is it the next universe over, like our universal neighbors? No. That's a good guess. That would be cool, though. Yeah. I like that guess. It's not correct. Like, what, n- what number universe are we? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like Mambo well, number five. Just like a catchy song. Nope. All right. Well, I think we've exhausted all our guesses. Let's keep going. That's, that's all we got. We're done. So. Ready to find out? So to kick us off, I'm going to talk a little bit at first about population growth. Okay. So we have currently just shy of 8 billion people on Earth. Okay. Which is a wild amount of people. Yeah. This is a significant increase from 1804, where we had about 1 billion. Are we going back to the 1800s? No, we're going... Not very far away. I'm just setting a scene <laughs> okay. here. I was okay. going to say the future, and then I was like, that is an absolute lie. <laughs> the future is now. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm, I'm talking a little bit about projections into the future, but that's not what my focus is. Oh, okay. On our current trend, we are going to be at roughly 10 billion people by the year 2050. So, like, in our lifetimes, we will theoretically see... 10 billion people on Earth. It just feels like that's too many people. That is too many people. This is the estimated population cap. Like, experts like don't believe we will ever exceed 10 billion people. But that's kind of just like based on our current understanding of science and technology. Yeah, I was going to say based on what? Like, <laughs> physical space. Well, one of the most prominent concerns when it comes to population growth is food. Like, how will we feed all of these people? Sure. But a fun little fact, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, we currently, like as a planet, produce more than one and a half times enough food to feed everyone. Just not all so, where it needs to be. Exactly. Like right. the, the issue isn't we're do we have enough food? It's how we're allocating it and how we're right. making it accessible or not making it accessible because of greed, douchebaggery, privilege, all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's really just a matter of accessibility. But so that value, the amount of food we are currently producing is enough to also feed 10 billion. Like we can when it comes to food, accommodate this population growth that we'll see. But it's if really it was just a evenly distributed. Of, yeah, how we distribute yeah. it. Okay. So this kind of leads to the question, though, of, you know, obviously, how do we distribute it? That's like a whole political conundrum. That's not what we're going to try to answer here. 
That's good. Oh, good. That does not sound fun. <laughs> that sounds not fun. That <laughs> yeah. sounds very much not fun. The, the question that arises is, what would it even look like if we could do that? What mm-hmm. would Earth or society look like if we could evenly distribute our food resources to everybody? So, enter... American ethologist John B. Calhoun. What is an ethologist? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> she is very glad you asked. She set you up for that. <laughs> I, she's actually genuinely She like, dropped that in there just waiting and you took that bait immediately. I did. I'm such a good little fishy in these. <laughs> an ethologist studies animal behavior usually with a focus on natural conditions. So like their natural habitats and stressors and things like that. Not like, how would this animal act if it were on a roller coaster with a penguin? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Or like on LSD. Per se. Oddly specific. (laughs) You know, the obvious question. (laughs) Yeah. These are the questions of our ages. Indeed. John Calhoun primarily studies rats and rodents. Oh, we're going to eat rats, aren't we? No, we oh, are not. No, I don't want to. A, a disclaimer that not all rats survive the story, but we do not eat them. Okay. Actually, I am comforted knowing that. Now that I have <laughs> a heads up that these rats will be victims. Go ahead. Calhoun uses rats or mice as a an experiment on like how their population growth might reflect on human population growth. Okay. He begins his experimental research in 1947. He works for or, and or is like funded by the National Institute of Health. And his first experiment in 1947 studies an enclosed group of Norway rats at a barn in Rockville, Maryland. Those are the big ones. Yes. Those are the big, gross city ones. Wait, at a bar? A barn. Oh, I thought you said a bar. I'm like... <laughs> I mean, they're probably at the bar, too. Yeah. I mean... Guys, I know about rats now after dealing with Eric and his roof rats. I don't want to talk about... Rufus. Eric and Rufus. i still emotionally scarred. I'm not ready. There were multiple roof rats named Rufus. That's all I will say to the listeners. R.I.P. Rufus's. I am not. We, we need to keep going. I can't do this. In this barn, Calhoun provided the rats with unlimited food and water. It's a little unclear exactly how many he started with. I think he had like multiple replicas of this experiment. So anywhere between 30 and 52 rats in his like starting population. He modeled that the population would grow to about 5,000 over the course of two years. Okay. But in reality, the population capped at 200. So not very much at all. But why? Well, we'll get to that shortly. (sighs) He continued with his, his studies during the 1950s, and the same sequence of events would transpire each time. So he had, um, he used like different types of rats and rodents. He used different like configurations of these habitats that he created. 
But every single time there was like this general trend where the mice would like meet, make friends, mate, and then breed in like large quantities, just like fucking go at it. But then eventually there'd be a leveling off and the rodents would exhibit basically two different behaviors. Either they would form cliques that were aggressive and hostile. <laughs> I like that we're calling them cliques. <laughs> they resorted to mean girls. It, basically, yes. yeah. So it was that, or they would become passive and antisocial. Like they would like withdraw from the community structure. And then eventually the population would trail off into extinction. Mm-hmm. Great. So we started publishing his observations in the 1960s. His first was in Scientific American called Population Density and Social Pathology. And this is where he coins the phrase behavior sink to describe the results of overcrowding. So a behavior sink is just primarily like the collapse of behavioral norms or social functions. Okay. Um, so you're just like, you're, you've lost what is like recognizable behavior under what you would otherwise consider to be like normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. So he still wants to, you know, there's, there's still lots of questions that aren't answered and he's tinkering around with these habitats he's creating to try to sort of nail down what's happening, why it's happening, how to improve these environments so that, you know, they can be more prosperous and productive. So he's still doing these experiments. And in 1968, he starts his most famous, Universe 25. So I think we can assume that all of his other experiments up to this point were also called universes, but they were less noteworthy. Is this a rat universe? That's what I'm gathering. Yes. It's a sort of rat utopia because it's like ideal conditions for rat happiness, theoretically. This one is located in Poolsville, Maryland. And if that sounds familiar, it's because we're our favorite apple picking and winery. Yay! I love that place. Shout out to Homestead Farms and Rockland I was going to say. I remember that place. That place is so fun. Yep. So there's a lot of like National Institute of Health facilities and labs and things like that up in that area. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So Calhoun created a, an enclosure that was approximately one Tracy square. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One square Tracy, I believe the, the phrase yep. is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One Tracy by one Tracy. I didn't quite get how tall it was. I think it was like half a Tracy tall. Mm. It consisted of four pens. So like it was, it was divided and then subdivided. So okay. it had four pens. And a total of 256 living compartments. And then 16, like, equally distributed burrows that led to unlimited food and water supplies. Okay. Mm-hmm. The environment was sterilized. So it was, like, plague-free. It wouldn't have any diseases, you know, that could harm the mouse population. So in this particular study, he's using mice, not rats. There's no predation. It's very spacious. They have unlimited resources. It's climate-controlled. It's like a five-star resort vacation for these mice. Like it has everything they need, all of mm-hmm. all of their creature comforts. Does it have mental stimulation for them? We'll get to that. For them to grow as mice? 
We'll get to that. <laughs> is there a, a mouse university where they can go to school? <laughs> I'm just saying we don't want them to become stagnant members of mouse society. To earn their keep. Mm-hmm. No freeloaders. They started with four pairs of healthy mice from the National Institute of Health breeding colony. Like they maintain their own like certified healthy mice. So the, the finest specimens. Sure. And they dropped these eight mice into Universe 25. And in the first 104 days, so about three and a half months, this is what is known as the strive period. This is where the mice adjust to their new surroundings. They get familiar with each other and they like kind of start to become comfortable with the fact that they have everything they need. Like okay. getting acclimated, acclimated mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. comfortable with this life that they're okay. given. Adjustment period. It makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. Makes sense. Yep. This is followed by the exploit period. So once they've realized that they have everything they need and they don't have anything to worry about for their survival, they just start fucking like crazy. Cool. Lots and lots of sex. Yeah. The population doubles every 55 days. This is the teenage years. (laughs) 55? Yes. How long is a rat pregnancy? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to Google it. Well, this is a mice. A mouse. Oh, mice. Mice. A mice. A children. What kind of mouse is this? 18 to 22 days. What kind of mouse? I don't know. Just a mouse. Wow. Tracy's jealous. (laughs) I'm so jealous. House mouse is 20 days. Wood mouse is 24. A couple other examples. It's less than a month. Less than a month. It's less than a month, yes. So by the 315th day, so we're not even a full year in. Yeah, almost The universe contains 620 mice. Oh, of all generations. Multi-generational household. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The enclosure was designed so that each of the compartments, I mentioned there were 256 compartments, each Mm -hmm. of the compartments could comfortably hold up to 15 individuals. Yeah, but I don't want to share my room. He estimated that the entire enclosure was built for like 300, sorry, 3,000 mice. But now that we've reached 620, we're noticing that like the mice are not using all of their available space. Like they have so much space that they could take up. Uh, and, and spread out, but they're crowding in particular areas, primarily the compartments that are closest to the food burrows. So even though sure. the burrows are evenly distributed, they've learned a year in that there's always going to be food and water there. They're still crowding around those areas. Mm-hmm. They haven't learned to like go to the cafeteria and get their lunch and then like go back to their apartment, you know, like. Mm-hmm. They're just crowding in these areas. Okay. Then they start to kind of realize that, you know, the crowding is uncomfortable. There's too many huddled in one space. So they start to split into groups. And this is where we begin to see a social imbalance. So it's not that they are like strategically spreading out to use up their space, it's that they're like dividing by social structure. Okay. One third emerges as socially dominant. So these mice are very aggressive. They'll launch into violence with no clear provocation. A mouse might cannibalize their victor 
or cannibalize after uh, a victory. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And also indiscriminately rape other mice regardless of gender. What? So Why? they are just soups aggressive. Just feels like that's not necessary. It, it's not. Definitely not. The other two thirds are less socially adept or even antisocial. Um, so a lot of the male mice are being turned away by the female mice. Like females are starting to just like not want to mate. Um, and so the men just like withdraw from society. And so they pout about it. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. They begin to eat and sleep alone and so just become more solitary. Uh, they sometimes fight amongst one another, but like not as aggressively. Uh, so these are things that could be attributed to like boredom. What else are they going to do? You know, they, they don't know what to do. Um, and, ha- and not having like a role within society. So they just like quietly keep to a corner and be all sad. This is around the time that uh, with less social activity, the birth rate starts to fall. Okay. So the population does still grow for a little while, but just slower. So we're not doubling every 55 days. We're doubling every like 100 plus days. So the population reaches 2,200 mice after one and a half years. Uh, But then that's where we start to see things turn. With the male mice abandoning their traditional roles, the females were left to defend their nests. So now, like, the women are becoming more aggressive because they don't have the males to protect them. So they start engaging in more aggressive behavior to protect their babies. The female mice also become like so aggressive that they don't really know like how to direct their aggression. And some of them even start to commit infanticide. Others would just like refrain from their motherly duties altogether. Like just give up. Yeah. Like I don't need to raise you. Like the food is free. Go get it. Like you don't need to do anything. Don't bother me. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I I don't want to be responsible. Mommy's taking a break right now. Uh, So they would abandon the, their babies from their like compartments or just like banish them from their compartments. Then we started to see, like the litters, the baby mice grow up to be withdrawn from, like, mm, from the social. Yeah, because well, yeah. they're neglected. Exactly. Yeah. In some compartments, the infant mortality rate was as high as ninety percent. Holy shit! And I don't this like is this. where we enter the stagnation phase or equilibrium period. This is not a happy segment. Yeah, I'm not liking this. No, it's not. Okay, it's a bummer. By the 560th day, which is almost exactly one and a half years after the start of the experiment, uh, population increase has like stalled entirely. And we start the death phase or the die period, which is like our progression towards extinction. Okay. So amidst all the violence and hostility and the lack of mating, we have a younger generation of mice that is reaching maturity. So we have like generations of mice that were born in universe 25 and are growing up basically without role models, right? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. How do I mouse? Yes. Yes. And what's interesting is that they, they don't learn the aggressive behavior. 
they just learn like the antisocial behavior. Um, Mm -hmm. So they just kind of remain withdrawn and like uninterested in engaging with each other and uninterested in mating. And so without mating, you're not growing your population. Sure. What they did with their time was eat, drink, and groom. So Calhoun calls these, quote, the beautiful ones because they had very nice, well-maintained, clean coats. Is this like the equivalent of my parents immigrated here and worked really hard and now I can, you know, go to improv classes? Like, is that the... I feel like that's the equivalent. I was thinking it was more about how our generation are not having children at the same rate that the generation before us were. Well, I think, yeah, I think both. There's a lot of reasons for that, obviously. I don't know. I feel like it's not quite the same because one of the many reasons why our generation is not having children are things like resources. Like we can't afford to. We work really hard and we're getting less from it. Well, I was thinking more of the stereotype of like, oh, millennials, like they don't want to work hard. They just want to eat their (laughs) avocado toast and go to brunch and not have babies, you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So like those, these are the millennial mice. Yeah, that yeah. argument I can see. Yes. Yes. I don't agree with it, but I'm just saying. Yeah, because when it comes to things like resources, like they have everything they need right. to raise a family. Um, like they, they're not going to struggle to feed their kids or anything like that. But yeah, they're kind of just like privileged, privileged little yeah. mice that have everything handed to them. They're bored. And, they don't need to work for anything. Yeah. <sighs> but so their appearance is a large like juxtaposition to the older generations who are like ragged because they're like fighting each other and mm-hmm. things like that. And so they look rough. And this younger generation is all like clean, soft, fluffy coats. Um, and they you know, they just keep to themselves and don't really care about much. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the experiment ends with the death phase, which consisted of two stages that Calhoun called the first death and the second death. And I think this is like the saddest part where the first death is really like an emotional or psychological death. It's just the loss of purpose where like all the mice have basically just like given up with their societal rules and functions. I hate Uh, this. You know, they don't have any desire to mate, to have friends or anything like that. They're depressed. Yeah. Yeah. The second death is the literal, like, death and extinction of the universe. The universe. The whole universe. So after four and a half years, we're all the way down to 27 mice. 27? Yeah. 27? Yes. It's a big drop. shit. Yeah. Started with eight, reached 2,000 in like a year and a half, and then faded down to 27 over the next couple of years. So is this like an allegory for like what's going to happen to the Earth? We'll get there. Oh, Just God. one last observation about Calhoun's like last ditch effort to try to like salvage Universe 25. He mm-hmm. took um, some of the, the beautiful ones from Universe 25 and introduced them into a new environment. Mm-hmm. So he like relocated them with new mice that weren't part of the original experiment. So like mice that have social functions, normal behavior, all that kind of stuff. And hoping that, you know, maybe the beautiful ones would become socialized. 
and mm-hmm. develop a, a role in their society. But he found that that did not happen. They showed absolutely no interest in, you know, changing from their solitary lives. And that other, like, side mm. experiment just ended without any single births whatsoever. They made no babies. So it wasn't just the environment anymore. They were just... Mm-hmm. This is, this is it was ingrained. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't like this. So what we've learned from this, or what it seems like we've learned from this, is that, uh, you know, mice like humans thrive on a sense of identity and purpose. So things that we consider to be negative, like tension, stress, anxiety, are all still integral to our survival because those are things that make us want to engage in society. We need to have to scavenge for our food, like to work for the things that we want. Mm -hmm. And when all of those needs are accounted for and we don't have any conflict, then the individual dies in spirit. Mm. So if you're raised in this type of society, you'll lack any relation to the real world. Okay. He publishes findings of like, of this experiment in 1972. And this gained instant notoriety for its grim outlook on overpopulation and overcrowding. I understand. Yeah. (laughs) This was a time in the world where we were seeing a lot of crazy things that hasn't really changed, obviously, but... But it was like the start of that shit, like the late, like the 60s going into the 70s. Yeah. The the population at that time was seeing massive urban expansion. They had Vietnam, race riots, political assassinations, the Cold War, China's Cultural Revolution, just to name a few. So the public was in a place where they were already kind of like fearful of the future. Like, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Where are we going? Are we doing the right things? Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. So this experiment like escalated those concerns on like, are we entering breakdown of society? Jesus. But Calhoun urges us all to sort of recognize the differences between our world and the rat world, that you can't really use Universe 25 as a metaphor for the human race. And there's a variety of reasons. One is to recognize that the universes he created were super unattainable for the human population. Like, in order for us to be going down that same path, It's not just about the size of our population and how much food we have. It's also about things like disease, which he was able to keep out of his experiments. And unless we also address that, which clearly we are not right now. No. You know, we're going to have those unforeseen disasters, health disasters and natural disasters like climate. Like there's so many elements that we can't control that are going to keep us in check He also emphasizes that humans are a more sophisticated species, and we have the wisdom and ingenuity to avoid a similar fate. Do we? Yeah, it's like question (laughs) mark. (laughs) I mean, we should. I'm not fully convinced of that, but okay. He alleges that we have the science, technology, and medicine that gives us the ability to like pinpoint the causes of you know, concern in our society. We have the means of averting disasters, not all of them, but, you know, some of them. We can heal many wounds and illnesses, and we also have the ability to explore new environments. 
for better or for worse. I'm not going to get into this because there's no time. But he also was like Mm -hmm. a serious advocate for space exploration. Like you can also avoid all these problems if we just colonize Mars. That's a solution. Well, yeah, (laughs) if we have a if we have a planet B. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't. We sure (laughs) don't. Calhoun's actual concern, like what he got out of this experiment is like what overcrowding means for our function in society. So again, it's not about food or resources. It's about what like our personal identities are and how we are fulfilled as people that could be at jeopardy with overcrowding. Because as our population grows, we are also seeing the job market reduced. And Mm -hmm. not just like we're outgrowing the number of jobs available, but like the number of jobs are decreasing, at least in some industries with things like technology, automation, just that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, like we saw with the mice that like the breakdown of society happens when they don't have a role, like when they don't have a place in their society. And so that's really what like Calhoun and he kind of suggests the rest of us should really be concerned about. Like as our population grows, our primary concern should really be the job market. Like how will we continue to support our population with the jobs that we have? What will society look like if like, if we decide that some people just don't get jobs, like how do we support them? Do we support them? Mm -hmm. Like how do we balance that? So I just thought those were really interesting questions. He primarily focuses now on city planning. So his experiments have helped a lot with like designers, architects, local governments and agencies around the world. After Universe 25, he continued to make an additional like 100 universes where he just like experiments with different layouts. So it's a lot like city planning. Like how can we maximize like the distribution of resources to support people while also keeping them engaged like socially in their environment. Mm -hmm. That is like the extent of his research. It gets a lot of doom and gloom type responses because if you just look at the universe 25, it says like, we're all doomed. Like we can't have nice things. If we try to have nice things, this is what happens. We ruin it. But he kind of focuses on the reality of the fact that like we will never have such a perfect environment as the one that he, you know, manipulates for the mice and that sure. we have power and knowledge to make a better world for ourselves, but we have to plan and prepare for that accordingly. I'm overwhelmed right now. I know, I'm just I don't know how to respond to this. This is <laughs> I know. I sad this is I just uh, didn't think that's where this was going and it's yeah. a little it's a little more existential than I emotionally prepared for today. <laughs> so what do we do, Liz? Yeah, what do we do? Tell us. We go to Mars. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All right, well. I think it just it is sort of a like one field of research that leads to another. So it kind of it identifies the question we really need to answer Mm -hmm. um, or two questions. And so one is the distribution of the resources we do have, because obviously that's important. Like sure feeding the people that we have, we have the means to do so. We just don't do it. 
but then just also what like the bigger picture like what does society look like as we grow and like we have these problems now like we have students we have young people shell out shit tons of money to get an education that like we tell them that they need and then we don't actually have jobs for them when Mm -hmm. they get out or jobs that fit their education yeah make them enough money to survive or fit the thing yeah their education fit the thing that they were trained for um so like we're already kind of we're in that we're living that Mm -hmm. i feel like i've heard before like the whole go to college because you don't want to spend the less, the rest of your life flipping burgers or whatever. And then when you yeah. graduate and you can't find a job, it's like, well, why don't you go flip burgers? You too good for that? Like, Yeah. Right. That's bullshit. And then now it's like, oh, where is everyone to flip my burgers? Yeah, like, you can't get a goddamn burger around here Right, anymore. exactly. Like- <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard, you know, the, the great resignation that's going on right. now. Which I I was talking to one of our other friends about this recently. I feel like maybe it's like a good thing in a way for Americans. Obviously, it's like hard to deal with in the moment, but like maybe it'll shift Americans' priorities. You know, other countries have like way more time off and value their time away from work and Americans work probably too much. A lot of people like calls and stuff outside of work, even though they're off the clock. So maybe it'll shift American priorities in a good way. Once it kind of, once the dust has settled. I mean, I hope, but I'm just not convinced. <laughs> It'll be slow. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that, like, America can 100% learn from other countries about, like, how we treat, like, jobs and employment and healthcare and all those kinds of things. Ugh, like, healthcare. we have the means to give ourselves and other Americans, like, better, more equitable lives and we don't yep yeah accurate yeah Mm -hmm. i was just i think i I heard on another podcast i was listening to like a little factoid that compared like american moms to uh maybe it was german moms and it was like german moms are like more in like engaged and have healthier relationships like with their kids and, and like spend more time with their kids and like you know how do we have better moms like that and it's like well give them six months paid maternity leave yeah you know yeah. give them health care give them time off to go to health care don't charge mm-hmm. them tens of yeah. thousands of dollars just to have the baby yeah a thousand oh don't even get me started like there's there's a lot of very good answers to that. You just don't actually want to implement them. Exactly. Like, don't make it sound like you don't know the right answer. You fucking do know the right answer. Like, <laughs> yeah, people just don't want to spend the money that way or they don't want they want to. It's just not a priority. It's not a priority. Yeah. Or like the Republican mindset of like, I worked hard for my money. Why am I going to give it to someone who's not even working that hard? First of all, you didn't. It's probably due to generational wealth. Second of all, like, maybe for the good of society. <laughs> it's, it's that mindset, though. Mm-hmm. If you're poor, you're lazy. Yep. I just... Uh... Maybe society should just downfall. Maybe we should just... You know? Hey. Let natural selection happen. <laughs> That's kind of how vaccines are going right now. (laughs) 
But that's a whole other, you know, thing with accessibility of the vaccines. Oh, absolutely. And education and understanding of them. Mm-hmm. And yes. allowing people to take time off from work or get paid for their time off to go get the vaccines and mm-hmm. recover from them and things like that. Which is not, absolutely. unfortunately, a privilege everyone has. No, mm-hmm. not at all. Well, I'm all bummed out now. So... Big, bright future for the world. Yay. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Don't behave like mice. Shining at the end of every day. Don't be a mouse. Don't be a Rufus. Don't be a mouse. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. Don't be a Rufus. Don't, Don't be, be a Rufus. A Rufus. <laughs> If you want to hear our happier episodes that don't predict the end of civilization as we know it, you can listen to Harpy Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen, please read us and leave us a glowing review. What are your solutions to the job market? Tell us about it. <laughs> no on pressure. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Harpy Hour Pod. Or email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. If it's a good idea, I will steal it. (laughs) And claim it as my own. Thank you. Crowdsourcing. Mm -hmm. Just a reminder, Harpy Hour will still be offering exclusive content on Patreon for subscribers through the end of March. We are still producing new content. So um, you can continue to get more laughs with Harpy Half Hour and Not a Doctor over there. So head on over to Patreon. Check out the tiers we have. Please uh, stick with us. And for our finale, we just want to remind all listeners that you are invited to send along any farewell messages uh, by the end of February for us to read on our last episode. Do it. Thanks for listening. Okay, Okay, bye. bye.